Ja. Øh, ja. Jeg ved ikke, om du vil sende mig audio fra Project Power. Det er bare en klip, og jeg kan sende mig audio for det. Jeg synes, jeg bare skal bruge det navn audio, eller hvad? Second track. Uh, yeah, so that's I, all I, I did with the other. It sounds alright. I've already Have you seen it, Dave? Yeah, yeah, I watched it on Sunday. Yeah, it's cinemas cinemas are weird now. Yeah, yeah when you, they are when the first one back to go and watch is this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although I'm, I'm the judge, I'm not seeing it, so it doesn't matter. Right, I'm good to go whenever. We'll go then. Oh God, honestly, one of these days, mate. I swear, the next time that we're face-to-face recording one of these, you're going to get it. What are you going to do to him? Oh, he's. I'm, I'm going to beat, <laughs> beat <he> something. <laughs> What's a really threatening thing? I'm going to beat his dick. <laughs> you're, you're, you're laughing the most out of that it was your joke I'm going to beat his dick in the two minutes and just ah. <laughs> right okay I'm, I'm ready okay three two hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial this week Tenet I'm Gav I'm Alex I'm Joel I'm Dave and I'm Austin and just like Tenet Our time is running out, which is probably true. The amount of foul language and toilet humor that we use in every episode, it's uh, surely a matter of time before we're kicked off Apple Podcasts. I, I've been calling this film Tenant all this time, but it's actually Tenant, isn't it? So, yes. It's, it's meant to be a palindrome, isn't it? You're supposed to be able to read it both ways, so it's, it's Tenant, yeah. Tenant. Um, okay, well, this week's film on trial is the 2020 sci-fi action film Tenet, not Tenant. Is it Pip-Pip or is it Tut-Tut? Because <laughs> <laughs> they're palindromes? Because they're, they're palindromes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Essentially, because Pip-Pip is like Pip-Pip, hooray, you know, and uh, Tut-Tut is, is like... It, uh, Is it a big, it's a big stretch, I think. That it one. is a big stretch. <laughs> it's one well, of your I'm, biggest stretches. Well, well, you've had. well, well what, what is your favorite palindrome? It's a good question. It's a good question. <laughs> it's too many, too many to think off the top of my head. I wish you'd give me. I wish you told me about ask me this before. Let me think. <laughs> I'm going again. I'm going again with boob or tit. <laughs> Very good. Classics. Classic. Very apt. Um, I'm going with no lemon, no melon. <laughs> <laughs> no, no lemon, no lemon, no melon, which is a palindrome. You say it backwards. Just, just so, just uh, so listeners know, 
Gav's not pissed. Like, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, and it, before you say, uh, whenever you use that, it, you know, on a day to day basis, I use it all the time when I'm ordering a fruit salad at restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, hopefully, we're going to find out whether this film is a hit or a shit. Um, just to say, it will be a very spoilerific episode, obviously. So if you haven't seen Tenet yet, check it out. It's the first big release at the cinemas since they've reopened you can listen to this episode after you've watched the film or you can just trust our judgments alternatively you can fast forward to our quiz this week brought to us by joel which will start around the 40 odd minute mark i reckon now before we go on our last film on trial was project power i judged that trial and deemed that it should be placed on the shit list and uh, i've since gone away and i've watched the film so did i make the right call well yes i did uh, it, it was it was all right. It was enjoyable, but it was it was also just pretty average. You know, I could have kind of not seen it and not been asked. You know, instead of seeing it and being slightly asked. Uh, so I it's agree. With disappoint- what, it's just disappointing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I could definitely see what what you and uh, Ozzy were saying last week when you said that there were a lot of good subject matters that brought up initially and then just dropped entirely, or you know, just concluded really quickly without any sort of big payoff and yeah it was it was all it was all right yeah i'd say it was pretty average it could have gone on well i would i would say gone on either list but now i'm pretty i'm pretty confident that it's on the right list i just feel like watching the film it, it felt like the whole concept of the film was based on the idea of what if he-man were a drug, <laughs> drug addict <laughs> 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 anyway, right, on to the bulk of the show <laughs> This week's film uh, wasn't picked out of the hat at random, but was instead picked by us here with Films on Trial as we desperately try and stay relevant. Uh, All of the roles, however, have been picked out of the hat at random. So acting in defense and trying to get this film placed on the hit list will be Dave and Joel. Now, Dave is a lot like Kenneth Branagh's character, Andre Sator. He dresses like he owns a yacht, and there are multiple people that want to throw him overboard. And Joel, <laughs> I'm saying that, it's been a while since I've seen you in a turtleneck and a... Um, it's, it's been warm. I'm, I'm breaking out in autumn, trust me. <laughs> um, and Joel is a bit like Robert Pattinson's character, Neil. A lot of people say he's boring and untalented. <laughs> <laughs> and acting as prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list will be Alex and me Alex is a little bike Alex I feel like I am drunk actually I'm, not, I'm honestly not um, Alex is a little bit like John punchline? I know what's going on no. Is it, uh, no no is it I, I don't actually no, they're not. I don't think there is a bald person in this. And if there isn't, I don't always go for the low-hanging fruit, Austin. Alex is a little bit like John David Washington's character. Well, Thank I only you. go for the low-hanging fruit 90% of the time. <laughs> um, Alex doesn't dress smart enough when he goes out to nice restaurants. And he severely dislikes Kenneth Branagh. Um, so, fair, yeah. Yeah, fair. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. 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 You know what? It'd be great if one could come up and we didn't talk about the ball thing just as as an aside. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, 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 yeah. I wasn't even going to mention it. I was I not know, even going to mention know, it. Um, and I'm just like Himish Patel. I can appear in as many things as I want, but people's first thoughts when they see me are always going to be annoying and unfunny Richard Curtis-associated Beatles fan, <laughs> which is 
true, uh, but not for the right reasons to be associated with Richard Curtis. Uh, now, just like real court advocates, the defence and prosecution will be making the best case for their roles. These may or may not be their real opinions, however, so do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear their genuine thoughts. Which means this week, Austin has the most important role as he will be playing the judge. Now, Ozzy is a little bit like Sir Michael Caine's character, Sir Michael Crosby. He has no idea what this film is about, what he's doing there, or if anybody is actually recording. <laughs> now, uh, which is, to be honest, I'm going to say probably the most true thing I've ever said. Most films, you've got no idea what the hell we're talking about. You're quickly trying to watch a YouTube video or <laughs> briefly read over a synopsis just before we start recording. Uh, now, Ozzy must decide which list the film should be placed on, hit or shit, based solely on the argument put to him and not using his own opinion. Now, before we get started, I think we should give the listeners a bit of a better understanding as to what this uh, film is all about. So let us spin the wheel of impressions. That's very quiet, isn't it? I'll do it again. I'll do it again. Hang on. Uh, wheel of impressions. Now, here we read off the film, uh, if the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film, this week it's landed on myself. So, how would you like me to read out the synopsis? It does it's, really it's an easy one, isn't Kenneth it? Kenneth yeah. Branagh. Uh, yeah. Hammy European. Russian accent, yeah. Bad Russia, a bad hammy Russian accent. Jesus Christ. We, we all know that I can't do a bad Russian accent. It sounds like the Count from Sesame Street. That's uh, <laughs> why we requested it. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. You can do a Michael Caine impression if you want, Gav, but... <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll do Michael I'll do... Caine but he's Russian <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah I'll, dude. No, I'll do I'll do Michael Caine going into a Russian okay right, okay, right going ready. into a Russian <laughs> <laughs> behave that is terrible okay right on with only one word Dennis <laughs> and fight for the survival of the entire world a protagonist journeys through a twilight world of international espionage on a mission that will unfold into something beyond real time. Hey! That was one of the better ones we've had, Michael Caine and the Russian. That was top notch. Well done. Thanks, thanks. I've been I've never seen before every podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I had a few liqueurs, I might say. Uh, now, uh, without further hesitation, Austin, would you like to please kick off proceedings? Yeah, I did. I don't know why, but in my head, I had. Um, I thought you were going to say something like, "You're only supposed to blow the Vladivostok" or something like that. Just, <laughs> like, just, <laughs> my head of a Michael Caine Russian uh, line. I don't know why. Um, I'm just going to be pretty, uh, pretty predictable. I'm going to go with a defense, please. Can a defense please set this film up and tell me everything I'm missing? Why should I put this on the hit list? Fire away, um, please. Okay, well, uh, I mean, first things first, it's a Christopher Nolan film. You know, I, I don't really care what the reviews say, whether they're good or whether they're bad. You know, I'm going to see it regardless because, you know, it's going to be like beautifully crafted, technically sound. You know, the sound, literally the sound is um, always very good as well. And uh, that is exactly the case here. Um, the plot actually I thought would be very confusing, but it's actually very simple. It's all the stuff around the plot and actually what's going on that is a little bit more complex. Basically, the plot is, uh, you know, he's he's basically a spy or a super agent and he's trying to save the world. Uh, so in a bit more detail, uh, John David Washington plays a character called the protagonist, uh, Robert Pattinson 
plays. Uh, <laughs> is his character actually called the protagonist? He's, he's called the protagonist. Yeah, you don't yeah, actually amazing. get to hear, ever just, hear his name. Is that just to make it even simpler to follow? Like, yeah, I, I, like, I won't lie. I've seen the trailer and I had no idea. But that, that's what he refers to himself as. Nobody okay, calls cool. him like protagonist. He says like, <laughs> I'm just, the protagonist in this story. Just, just keep, um, me, keep, keep me in. Keep it's me in to add a layer of mystery. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's go, so, and then you have uh, Kenneth Branagh, who Gav did the uh, Russian accent of. He he's is called like, the antagonist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's the bad guy of um, of this tale. And basically, it all kind of revolves around him in that he's going to activate this algorithm, which will uh, invert... Calculate the, people's resu- uh, GCSE It will results. invert the world. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's going to get shit GCSE results. And, and then uh, they're going to have to go back in time to try and sort exactly. it all out, but it's going to bollocks up. <laughs> okay, so, um, but so he's going to... What does the algorithm actually do? Sorry. So he, he he's basically got inoperable... I think it's pancreatic cancer. Uh, so on his death, he's going to activate this algorithm which inverts the world, which is where it gets a little bit complicated. It's basically where time goes forward and backwards at once, which basically stops everything and the world would end. Um, and... Uh, yeah, the protagonist basically has to has to stop him. So as I say, that's where the plot is very simple. It's just a case of stopping this guy, save the world. That's literally it. It's all the things that go around it, like the the time travel, um, going forwards and backwards in time at once, which is where things get very complex. Um, but I don't think you need to understand everything to enjoy it, because I'll tell you now, I didn't understand everything, and I still enjoyed it. The action... They just said it was simple. <laughs> Yeah, but I did say the things that go around that are very complex, so fucking listen next time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, I enjoyed it. I'm not going to go into too much detail as, as to, um, you know, all the action sequences, I'm sure we'll get into yeah. that later on. But it's pretty much exactly what you'd expect from Christopher Nolan. Uh, it's complex, it's very technically sound, um, and there's a lot of brilliant things in there as well. And I'm pretty sure by now, everybody knows what they're getting into when they go into this film. I like to imagine Christopher Nolan just sat outside, like, you know, with binoculars. When people come out the cinema, like, he's happy if they look, you know, confused as fuck. That's that's his job done. So that's exactly what you're going to get from this film. Okay, well, straight on to a prosecution, please. Yeah, I, the, the main thing I've got to disagree with is the idea that this is, like, the simple story that you you know all the way through and then you sort of, you know, but there's this other stuff that you don't quite get. I didn't understand what was going on throughout the entirety of this film and I didn't care. That's the problem you have. Like, you don't know who, I mean, it's unbelievable that his name is the protagonist. He kept referring to himself as the protagonist and it, it, that, you can't believe that, but you have absolutely no idea who he is throughout the start of the film. You don't know who he's working for at the start of the film. You don't know then who he then goes on to like to 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 try and bring down you don't know who Kenneth Branagh really is you don't know the these basic plot points so I'm I'm all for the complicated bit I know it was a Christopher Nolan film it's going to have some sort of complicated sort of physics idea it's got this idea about reverse in, in inverted in, entropy where things go backwards yeah I get the gimmick's going to be hard and time travel I'm not going to get that I, do, I don't need to do you know what I mean I, that, that's going to be complicated but this film just ba- like fails on a very basic narrative level and you can't twist things you can't then have things coming up later if you don't know the basic story you know and it's not that it's there's a basic story there that you 
it, it does it spends an incredibly long time at the start of the film trying to introduce you to this so you have these huge sequences after an initial action sequence you have just john david washington the protagonist just an awful name for a character everyone else has got a name don't know why he doesn't but the protagonist just wandering from restaurant fancy restaurant to fancy restaurant being sat down by sometimes it's a it's a scientist explaining introverted entropy then it's michael kane who appears in one scene and just starts going on and on and on about an art dealer that's been nicked and she's got a problem with her husband and her name's Catherine. Pa- and you just say, who are, who honestly, I felt like standing up and screaming, who are you talking about? Who is that <laughs> in the chair? I don't know what is, you know, and not, and, and the thing is the film is spending so much time explaining it to me, but I don't know what it it is on about. And this is the problem. It's not that Christopher Nolan wants you to be in that state of mind he has not achieved a basic film you know just a basic film thing it has to do which is to actually just lay out what is going on and just the the last thing is just because say if you take something like that's always leaving you say take the usual suspects fantastic film that's always leaving you in the dark and sort of you don't quite know who is Kaiser Soze this is the question uh, there's no question at the center of your mind in this film because everything is just right what nothing's explained so nothing can be twisted nothing can be a surprise because you didn't know anything in the first place you're completely lost from the get-go and bored mainly the problem and that's where an action film should never leave you feeling is just confused bored and just wanting i if it hadn't been for the podcast i'd have left halfway through i i well um it doesn't matter how amazing any action sequence might have been because it's fucking boring uh that seems to be that seems to sum it up dave you had your hand up for quite a, loop, a lot through there so yeah i i object i i don't think that's true at all i didn't understand a lot of it um Cat actually understood most of it, uh, more of it than I did coming out of the film, and she kind of filled in a few gaps that I've been missing. But I still enjoyed it. I was still enthralled throughout. I mean, at the end of the day, he brought on an actual physicist, the same guy who he consulted for Interstellar uh, to kind of get some of the more physical aspects of the, of the script nailed. So I, I've, physics was always my weak subject at school. I don't expect to understand half of what's going on here. So some of the technical stuff passed me by, but I was still mesmerized by what was going on. The plot is so fast-paced. The action scenes are brilliant. You know, and they're not, they're used sparingly. The, you know, they're not like thrown out there all the time. I knew from the get-go pretty much who John David Washington was, as in who he worked for. He's CIA. It's stated at the start of the film. He's, you know, it's an operation uh, to recover uh, an agent that's been uncovered at this opera house. So basically, someone's uh, they're going to kill him under the guise of this siege of the uh, the opera house, and his team are going in to extract double agent quickly. He's CIA. That is established in the first. 1015 after that first action sequence at the opera house so i think all the details were there it doesn't it won't pander to you this film it won't lay it out for you um to make it so easily digestible it's it's a tricky watch you got to pay attention you've really got to pay attention to it and even if you do a lot of it will pass you by because it is so layered it is so rich there is a lot going on here it really is and it is a complicated plot but within the first 20 minutes, when he meets a scientist played by Kamal Sposi, she pretty much warns him. It's like, don't overthink it. And, and a lot of the reviewers have said much the same thing. It's like, you just go along for the ride and you'll enjoy it. You try, you get bogged down in, because it's about time travel. 
Yeah, I forgot. It, it's <laughs> it, it's about time travel at the end of the day. You know, it's not actually anything that's feasibly possible. So don't get bogged down in the science of it. Don't get caught up in the nitty gritty of it. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the film and what it the, the story that it's trying to tell you. All right. Okay. Well. Uh, Alex, if you, you can have a quick, like very, a quick comeback, a quick comeback. It, it bogs itself down in the science quite a lot. But the, the main thing is a complexity. You can make any story complex. You could make Red Riding Hood complex if you didn't say where Red Riding was from, where she's going, or who Grandma was, or where the wolf was. You can make literally any story complex. That doesn't mean it's a comp. It doesn't mean it's worth being complex. It's it's this film is overcomplicated because it hasn't done its basic narrative job and and the stuff that should be interestingly complex the backwards time stuff which you should spend time doing i guess it gets complex if red riding hood goes to grandma's house and then meets herself on the way back when joel said this is a simple plot he's right this is essentially christopher nolan doing a bond film at the core of this you've got a very simple uh, uh secret agent tasked with finding a bad guy in exotic locations and that's what you got a very simple core bond plot, but just with that typical Christopher Nolan flair and Christopher Nolan science element to it. I will say that Southland Tales had a very simple plot at the core <laughs> of it, and that was absolutely shite. So you know, <laughs> let's not like praise how, how simple the plot was. Dave mentioned about the action pieces being done sparingly. I might just say that they are too sparingly. There's a lot of exposition dialogue. And I'll back up what Alex said before. There's a lot of what the fuck is going on. Like the intro Dave mentioned before, I don't think it's very evident from the get-go that he's CIA. You're not sure what's going on. You know, it appears that he's in some sort of anti-terror task force they mentioned the siege of the opera house and it, it isn't until after he is like captured captured i don't even know is he captured by stereotypical eastern european heavies who then torture him and pull his teeth out asking him to rat on his unit he says no and then he takes a cyanide capsule and then he wakes up uh, presumably he was trying to kill himself. He wakes up on a boat. I don't know why. Because, uh, like, Kiev is nowhere near a harbor. He wakes up on a boat. Right? And then um, he's been told that he's passed the test. He was in the CIA. He's not now. Now he's, this is some shadowy figure explained to him that he uses a code word, Tenet, which will help him from now on. Also, I thought it was very weird. There's a bit that Chew Horn did where he says, by the way, all uh, we, ha- we flew a, a dentist over and all your teeth have been put back in. I was like, <laughs> what's that relevant anyway like so then he gets dropped off at a big wind turbine in the middle of the ocean he's waiting there for i don't know an un- undefined period of time he's picked up he's then dropped off at land and then he gets into a car some somehow he ends up in a secret lab you know where they're discovering the discussing time travel weaponry that dave mentioned before and then you know the character then has to prevent world war three because People in the future want to blow up the past, which isn't very well discussed or established until right at the very end. And when they ask the question, why do they want to do that? This is used a lot. Like they say, it's just how it is. You know, like it's and maybe that's not verbatim, but it's it's a phrase like that. His character jet sets around the globe, meeting people and getting into scrapes the whole time. I don't know why. Who is he working for? Who's paying him? How does he know where to go and who to speak to? By the time Sir Michael Caine's rich and mysterious figure gives gives him a credit card to use, he's already been to Mumbai and back. Within the first 45 minutes, this character has traveled to more countries than 10 James Bond films put together. You know, and then, you know, the, uh, Joel and Dave were mentioning the pseudoscience of, you know, the time travel and bullets. The, the concept is 
is explained well initially, but then the execution and the practicality of it seems very rushed and very confusing. The protagonist is given a one-minute overview of how inverted guns work, and then in the next scene, he's a cross between Neo from The Matrix and Doc Brown. You know, it's just, something has happened there. It's like, there's no way... You're to telling me you wouldn't want to see that cross. <laughs> I do, I do want to see that film. Back to The Matrix. Um, then, like, at some point, the, the, it changes dramatically from bullets that can travel backwards to full-scale time travel without much of an explanation. And it's very visually pleasing to watch, as Dave said before, but it's so aneurysm-inducing to think about. that. Like, this film punishes you if you don't follow along, you know, and it's two and a half hours and there's a lot of talking and it's very hard to follow. Okay. I mean, that kind of leads on then. Let's take a little a little touch on script. I'm going to go back to the defence though because um, I think a lot of the prosecution... Uh, Argument has been about a huge amount of expositionary uh, dialogue in between. So we'll touch on the action sequences in a minute. Um, but before that, you know, most people are saying that it's actions used sparingly. So in the meantime, that means there must be a lot of dialogue or other things going on. So let's talk about the script that could make or break a film that's got a lot of talking in it. Uh, Dave? I think we've got a solid script on our hands. Christopher Nolan was working on this for about five to six years. I mean, the concept came to him about 20 years ago, around about the time of the millennium, and he's been working on this script for some time. He wrote and directed this film, so it's his baby, so he knew exactly how he wanted to get this across. And I think what you've got here is a very meticulous script. It's very well thought out. It seemed, from what Gavin Alex was saying, it seems to like some bits that it should be explained and it doesn't explain well enough and then it over explains bits that it didn't need to explain I, I think that's being unfair I think it really does a good job of giving you just enough of the science element behind it while at the same time giving you what is essentially like I say a bit of a Bond film maybe that's why I liked it but a bit of a Bond film vibe you know that it is uh, there is moments of wit there are moments of subtlety in the characters I think the uh, the dialogue between Robert Pattinson's character and John David Washington I thought were really good I mean we'll get into performances later on but I thought they had solid back and forth it felt like you know if you took the time travel bit out it felt like real dialogue if you catch what I'm saying um, so I thought it was a solid script um, and I don't is it funny uh, is it, I mean, you mentioned about wit and you know about it being did it feel hmm. Like, did it feel realistic? Like, it felt like actual conversations, or did I'd it have say that? So for the most part, yeah. Part. Apart from the time travel bit, which obviously yeah. does, uh, yeah, it takes you question. out. But uh, for the most part, I'd say no. It did feel like genuine dialogue. Um, with regards to the wit, I would say it's not a humorous film, but it's not as dark as it could have been. Now, there are moments of of lightheartedness, moments of levity. Yeah, uh, Gaff, Alex, little touch. I think there were just far too many one-off characters who were there solely for expository dialogue. You know, Clements Posey, scientist we mentioned before, she appears for about five minutes, maybe even less, to explain inverted technology. And then I mentioned Sir Michael Caine's character, Sir Michael Crosby, who explains Sator's backstory. So, sorry, Kenneth Branagh's villain's backstory and all about those lost or closed Soviet cities where Sator comes from, um, slash, you know, built his wealth from. Caine appears for less than five minutes to the film like he spends most of the time eating a steak which for me was very uncomfortable to watch because it was just like and you could see inside his mouth and i genuinely believe that he requested this character to be called say michael so that he didn't have to put too much effort into learning his lines <laughs> like anyway and then there's uh, you know aaron taylor johnson's soldier character who i, I honestly don't know 
who he is, you know, like, so later on, you know, so we're explained this thing, John David Washington's character um, recruits Robert Pattinson to help him. Basically, there's, there's like a trail. Uh, they're trying to figure out where these inverted bullets came from. You know, they go from one arms dealer in Mumbai who says, oh, yeah, I'm selling them to somebody else. Then he goes and finds, you know, Kenneth Branagh's uh, Russian villain who essentially is somehow getting them from the future. All that is fine to a point. And then... Wait, Sorry, Ozzy. Is he the guy from Nowhere Boy? Yes, yeah, he is. Yes, yes, is yes, he? yes, he is. Yeah, oh. he's 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 in it, and uh, you wouldn't recognise him. I think that maybe he auditioned for a larger part, and kind of uh, sorry, Chris Nolan maybe liked his performance so much that he cast him in this because it's very sort of like it's like oh God, it is. Yeah, yeah. What the hell is he doing? And like, I just don't understand who his character was, why he was there, what he was doing. He was some sort of uh, you know soldier who exposits all of the necessary military tactics and guff. Uh, you know, even Robert Pattinson's character who was our arguably the second most important character in the entire film spends 50 percent of his screen time explaining physics to you they've mentioned before that a lot of the dialogue is very realistic it's not at all it's like he sounds like he has at least two phds and a few masters in physics uh, you know it, the conversations they had are just so unrealistic but yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's all I'm going to say to be honest <laughs> uh, I'm going to go to Joel actually because I mean Joel was saying that you know, he's going to watch it anyway. I think a lot of people would have watched it regardless. Um, <laughs> sorry, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of hand, hand gestures going on. Um, so I'm going to go to Joel. So, you know, you, you were going to watch it anyway, but how did you feel with the with the, the large amount of talking, you know, and this? Uh, and I can get that maybe there's a, a lot of concepts in this film which none of us are going to get straight away. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but maybe... You know, it, it, you've got to be able to follow it somewhat. Do you think the script let you follow it, or was it just too technical? I do personally. Like I say at the start, well, the script, the um, sorry, not the script. The plot is very simple. There's just a lot of complex things which go around with it, and you don't really need to understand everything, you know, to enjoy the film and to understand what's going on. Gav said he doesn't understand what's going on. If you don't, you're brain dead because he's just really? trying to say he's just trying to say it's not world. like c-spot nah, you know what i mean literally <laughs> it you don't have yeah. to understand like all the complex time traveling and all that type of stuff to know what's going on what's going on yeah. is he's trying to save the world and that is what the, the I, I, you know i would that's, i would that's say like talking to a dog then, that's like talking to a like, dog and being like it could understand when i say your food's ready but it can't understand me when i'm quoting shakespeare to it, <laughs> like, yeah, but it, it it's not always relevant you don't really need to know absolutely everything and christopher nolan's films are made so that they are layered so that you can watch them two or three times and you can get things which you didn't understand on the first go through and, and just to come back to something Gav said as well about, um, you know, at the start of the film, the protagonist, like he kind of gets contacted by this like mysterious guy and all these kind of pieces fall into place. It's actually revealed at the end of the film that the protagonist actually kind of recruits himself. So he sets all the pieces in place for him, for the things to happen that happened in the past so that the future him can go back and do it if that makes sense. So it's like this this circle, and that's where the title comes into play as well as tenor, in that it's the same forward and backward. So there's this kind of pattern all the way through it, is called a pincer movement, where uh, some people go forwards in time and some people go backwards in time, and they kind of almost meet in the middle. And that that's what the whole film's about. Um, 
obviously I didn't understand everything and I understand what Alex and Gav are saying because it is very confusing at times. But to say you don't know what's going on and the plot is complex, it just isn't true because they, they're literally just trying to stop one thing from happening. Uh, and as Dave said, you know, it's it's just like James Bond in that way. I'm going to let Alex have a little comeback. But so it's basically, it sounds to me a little bit like Men in Black 3 where... Um, <laughs> Where it all comes full circle. Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I'm going to object. <laughs> it is. It is not like Man in Black. And that's how Will Smith gets recruited because uh, because yeah, uh, he's coming, he's coming, he comes full circle. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, and you know, I do, I'd agree with Joel. Like the, but you know, the, the big thing I disagree with him on is when he's saying that a lot of what they're saying isn't relevant. Then yeah, I agree. But then why have it in? You know. For a second watch, you know, I, I don't, I don't really, I think that's a little presumptuous of a filmmaker to think, well, you're going to watch it again and then you'll really like it. You know, <laughs> I, I, I think that's a little bit much, to be honest. And then, so if, if it's all, if it's so much of this is just sort of, you don't need to be understanding at all, then don't stop explaining it to me. I agree. I'd have loved to see the film with the gimmick. Do you know what I mean? The gimmick is things go back in time. Brilliant. I'm into it. I don't, I don't care. Do you know what I mean? I don't, I don't understand physics. I don't, I know that back to the future couldn't happen. Do you know what I mean? So I'm not, it's not like, don't explain it to me in minute detail, how bullets can travel back in time. Cause I'm not, I'm never going to believe you on that one. You just need to show it me. So I'd be, I'd be well up for a film that just went with the gimmick and didn't do this irrelevant ex- explanation the twist is good so you know th- there, is, there is a good film sort of hidden in here i can see how maybe 20 years was too long if it maybe maybe a bit earlier i think he's maybe possibly after that overthought it the twist is good that he's the one that's actually being recruited by himself back in time great but you don't know at any point there's no misdirection you, you it's not like michael kane's recruited him and then at the end you go oh no it's i was working for you the whole time you know michael kane doesn't come back in it so it's not a good twist because you've, you've never known what's going on anyway so you're just like yeah okay you could yeah it could be anything couldn't it and the last thing i'll say is just on the script is shocking in places i mean I watched The Incredibles recently, right? And it goes on about how what, characters... What a film. It is, right? I mean, what a great film. It, but it goes on about how villains undo themselves by monologuing. And that is literally what happens. At the end of a film, Kenneth Branagh has got... He's got like a heartbeat sensor. And when he dies, the time will explode and the whole universe will you know, cease to exist. And, you know, and who cares? Yeah, fair enough. Who cares? But who cares why? But he decides to do it when he's really happy. So he does it when he's on this on this boat with his wife and his, and his, and his family. And he just goes through his monologue. John David Washington rings him while he's trying to desperately defuse the bomb. It's the moment of tension. And like literally just Kenneth Branagh goes into this. I couldn't really even hear it. Honestly, couldn't actually hear what he was saying. Just goes into this huge big monologue about his philosophy of life. And then like gets, you know, <laughs> he literally sort of does what happens in the Incredibles and gets spoken out until, you know, they've actually defused the bomb and everything's okay. It's just a moment of, no tension whatsoever but there's a moment of no tension whatsoever what to monologue him what to just distract him that is exactly the plan to distract him that that was that is a terrible plan then that is just we're gonna i'm gonna chat to him on the phone and you know fingers crossed we don't lose connection because then the universe will filibuster him yeah yeah, but i will say i didn't know that was the plan but it's never really 
really detailed why he's choosing to end the world, right? So the only explanation they give is that, like, oh, he's dying of, uh, you know, if, you know, he's got incurable pancreatic cancer, and if he can't have the world, then nobody can, and that's the only explanation. And then John David Washington goes, okay, yeah, that's that's that sounds that's reasonable, yeah. But the whole thing is like he's accrued this mass wealth, um, because you find out that he was in one of these closed cities that you know, like, kind of fell into complete disrepair after the fall of the Soviet Union. And he his job was essentially to scour for um, unexploded nuclear warheads, essentially, in, in this city. As he's, like, looking for one, he finds this briefcase, which we then find out is from him in the future with just loads of gold in. So that's how he's accrued his wealth. That's how he's, he's getting these uh, weapons from the future. He is sending them to him. So then it's like, well, why would he then want to end the world and then... Uh, you know, I don't understand, you know, how ending the world in the past would then make the future all right. Would that not happen? It's it's never really explained, really. Like, just if the world ends now, does that mean that it's that their timeline is going to be unaffected in the future? Or does that mean that, like, the things that needed to be put yeah. in place for that to happen won't happen at all? It's... It's very I mean, just, I mean, I, I I thought that about Back to the Future one, two, and three. So let's like, <laughs> yeah. Time I mean, like this guy looks, ex- <laughs> this son looks exactly like some guy that was hanging around his wife years no, ago. He just so put time, two and two together. And time travel brings that out in any film, and I think that's what maybe one of the things that makes the time travel film watchable and enjoyable is that everyone's got an opinion and a good chat about it, and it, you know, it's a good one to talk about late into the night. Um, this film is touted as an action film. Um, you know, I think Christopher Nolan generally shoots pretty amazing action films. Um, I think I got it wrong. I can't remember whether I was judging or not on Dunkirk, but I've since watched that again, and I actually think that's that's pretty impressive. You know, a bit too flag-wavingy, but it's it's a really impressive film. Is this on the same par in terms of visuals, in terms of... I feel like it should be. It's taken them 20 years to make it. Uh, is it 20 years' worth of visuals, is it? You know, I'll go with the defense again and let you guys start. Dave? Joel? Dave? Joel? Um, yeah, well, I'll, I'll briefly say a few things and then pass over to Dave. I, I thought the action was great. You know, the like the, probably my favorite sequence was um, actually the set piece at the end, which may be, uh, you know, quite predictable. But they basically come to this bit at the end where they have to get a piece of the uh it's basically like a dead man switch um so when uh sator dies uh the earth goes with it and he's kind of buried a bit of this uh algorithm um which is going to explode all the rocks come down on it and it'll be lost forever essentially so uh they make uh tenet the organization make um two squads one of them is going forwards in time and one of them is going backwards in time uh, to try and recover this uh device before uh kenneth Branagh dies essentially and that's where the bit that alex was talking about comes into it so um uh i always forget his name the protagonist is talking to kenneth Branagh to distract him so that he doesn't uh you know kill himself he's playing for time essentially um but in order to get it, as I say, one team is going forward through time, one team is going backwards in time. You have all these crazy sequences, like there's a bit where there's like a building that's getting put together, but it's exploding at the same time. Um, so that's really weird to see. You, you see like all these bricks forming and then just exploding again. Um, you see people fighting kind of forwards and backwards. You see people like running 
um, you know, down slopes while there's cars like reversing, you know, because people are going backwards through time at the same at the same point that people are running forwards through time. It's all it all sounds really complicated, but it it must have been an absolute nightmare to shoot. But you know, watching it is is you know it, it's something to behold. Really, whether you enjoy the plot or you you know whether you know what's going on or not, those action sequences are are really something to watch. It's something that you know I think everybody can say they've never seen before. Okay, well, these are sequences that you've never seen before, Dave. Would you would you agree with that? These are absolutely original. This is nothing. There's nothing like this. Yeah, I've not seen anything like this before. It was it was pretty fresh. And Joel likes the uh, the climactic battle sequence. I think he's kind of gearing up to this battle with some inverted people moving one way in time, some others moving the others. And my favorite action sequence is actually the one in the art gallery. Uh, well, the uh, the storage vault, as it were, where it's basically John David Washington versus one. Uh, inverted opponent, essentially, and it's um, and that was great just to see it like close to. I mean, that's just like one-on-one fighting, but the opponent is inverted, so traveling backwards in time. John David Washington's moving the right way through time, and yeah, the two of them going at it. You know, you got bullets like them wrestling with a gun, bullets going back into the, bullets going back into the gun. Sorry, I can. Uh, uh, sorry, I, 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 carry on. Carry on. I think I yeah, can hear sorry. everyone fine. Sorry. That's okay. Um, so you got bullets going back into the gun as it's go as they're fighting. You know, there's one point where he gets thrown to the ground and he like crawls, but like it's like watching it like if you're rewinding something. But it's 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 more impressive looking than that. It is kind of bizarre and jarring, you know, when you see it. It's uh, it's more than just rewinding a film or rewinding footage of doing something. It's so bizarre seeing people move like that, like they are just moving backwards through time but not sped up. It's it's strange to say I've never seen anything like it before, but I thought the action sequences having this sort of element to them, it's its a fascinating watch. It really is. Uh, yeah, uh, so I, I will agree that some of the action is really good because, you know, it's Christopher Nolan. You know, he, he does action very well. You know, if he wants to blow something up, he'll blow it up. He won't use CGI. And I think, uh, I think there's no CGI in this film at all. Uh, one of the interesting things I learned afterwards is that he records everything twice. He got all the actors to do it going forwards one way, and then he got all the actors to do it the exact same scene, but in reverse the next, including learning lines as well. So, you know, it's equally impressive when you think about, you know, Kenneth Branagh and his poor Russian accents having to do that backwards as well but um as they said before like yeah yeah one of those backwards like one of those like uh, you know um twin peaks (laughs) (laughs) and then and then they play yeah so yeah uh, it was was interesting to say the least um but like dave said before i think it's a it's a bit too sparingly done it's a bit too few and far between you know you can have a fireworks display at the end of a funeral but it doesn't change anything does it and the, the um i think it's sorry to, i don't know what the book that's but, um, <laughs> yeah. but uh, i mean you can <laughs> I, i've never <laughs> never I, thought I, that image I, 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 I will say maybe that's how i'll no, go I don't. yeah yeah i'm gonna put you, yeah 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 y
I will say, I will say though that that's all very well and done. And Dave and Joel mentioned some good fight scenes and some good action set pieces, which I think is fine. And then like because it is essentially like this spy movie slash time travel heist up until the very end, and then it just goes very very bizarre. You know, the final thirty minutes is this almighty battle featuring hundreds of soldiers split into two units, one normal time and one reverse time, who have to, as Joel mentioned before, stop this nuclear bomb from detonating this entire scene is completely bananas and just comes out of nowhere so the the Sato the villain of the piece had a few heavies beforehand but now he has some sort of army that's just been sitting off at this Soviet era nuclear site just waiting for the world to end it's spectacle for spectacle's sake you know and and if you were somehow able to look past the nonsensical script and just concentrate on the action set pieces then you are severely punished for it here it feels like an assault on both your eyes and your ears just a quick point they're not they're not waiting for the world to end so sato picked that day to kill himself so that's why they're burying that device and that's where why all the soldiers are there as well so it's not well, just like that changes everything that changes everything and take it all back it's an incredibly well filmed scene <laughs> Cheers, man. We'll end it there, it's, it's yeah, not nauseous juice at all <laughs> Um, Alex, I think you had one thing to add to that. Go on. Yeah, just on that final scene, I, I, I actually thought the action itself, I mean, the reasons behind things we could go over just again and again, so I'll try and stay away from it. But the final scene itself, I didn't think was very climactic because they're running at each other with rifles and I just didn't understand it. It's like they're playing paintball and they're not really they're not really firing at, at each other. When they do, they sort of go down. And yeah, you know, I know Chris Nolan wants to get the PG-13 rating, which is important. You know, I mean, it's a big budget action movie and i think it's probably right for him to do but you do sacrifice a little bit of action violence in that and if you are going to have people firing an awful lot of guns at each other actually you know not having a lot of visceral violence at the end of it does take away i understand why he does it it's just a bit of a paradox um i i agree with dave like the the nice that was with the one scene when he has the fight in the in the airport again you don't know why he's there so it's very hard to get behind it but it is an interesting way of going down the corridor it's good. You then see the same fight again. And that is interesting at first because later on, it turns out that the protagonist, stupid name, I've got to keep saying it, it's not normal to have a character called the protagonist, comes back in, right, and fights himself. But at that point, again, I was like, he would know that, you know what I mean? Because he got dressed up like himself. He would be like on the way to the airport thinking, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to fight myself, aren't I? You know, because I look exactly like this. So, And because, you know, the... Because you've seen the fight sequence before at the beginning, which was well done, you then know how it's going to end already. So it, I, I know it's an interesting idea. It doesn't work. Just making it just an interesting concept doesn't necessarily translate into good action. Dave? Yeah, just quickly, I, I beg to differ. I really do. I thought it was a fascinating action sequence where basically you, the second time you see it, you see it from the opponent's perspective. So it, it begins where it ended and it, you basically see the fight going back through reverse. This time it's John David Washington, whose moves are going backwards as it were, as opposed to this guy in the ski mask, who is the unknown assailant who then later turns out to be, well, we know at that point is John David Washington going the other way through time. So it's, um, no, I, I beg to differ. I thought it was really well done. You're not going to see the likes of that in very many films. Um, There's also that bit where when you watch it the first time, Robert Pattinson, kind of stops the inverted uh, protagonist and you're thinking 
like when he actually sees the protagonist, he's like, oh, I've sorted it, you know, don't worry. He kind of brushes it off. And you're thinking, you know, like, why isn't he telling him the truth type of thing? But when you go back in time, you actually see that Robert Pattinson uh, pulls the uh, balaclava off. Uh, the future protagonist sees his face and uh, he realizes that, um, you know, he he's stopping him from the future, uh, which he then withholds from the past protagonist. So it gets kind of complex, but you you kind of understand the the character motivations, you know, the more it goes on. I'm not making this up. I'm not saying this to be on the prosecution. I didn't even know why they were trying to get a painting or why they were in the airport at all. Come on, so that's a big I did feel like no, I, I didn't. No, I'm not. I'm not must, I may, maybe I'm just you know I mean? That maybe was pretty obvious. That I had was really absolutely obvious. no idea why they were in the airport, what they were doing with the painting. Besides the fact of like thinking about it later on, I was like, "Is that really the best way of doing it to fire an no, airplane?" No, no, it was clearly explained. No, no, it was, I didn't. I, I'm, was, you, you can say that maybe was. it was clear. I'm saying honestly, I didn't get it. I didn't they had know to that. get the Goya painting because Kenneth Branagh was using that as blackmail over Elizabeth Debicki because he had bought that from. Uh, she verified it at auction. He knew see, that it was that's fake. That's like one of the quality. simplest points. Oh, no, I didn't. I, I know you're explaining clearly, it. That was clear. I didn't get it. No, no, you can't tell me that I didn't get that. I got it when I didn't get it. I didn't. Get it. <laughs> Order. Even I got out and watched the film. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, I think I think it's um, pretty unanimous that there are a lot of things within this film which are complicated and difficult to to grasp. And it feels to me like it's very deliberate. That's the whole point of it. I vaguely remember seeing a um, an interview with Christopher Nolan, but probably like five years ago, where he was talking about this great plan he had coming forward, and it had these two loops of story arc. Um, with one going forwards, one going backwards. And he's like, wouldn't it be amazing if they just like met in the middle? And then he says something along the lines of, I have no idea how I'm going to film it. And that was only now that we started talking, have I remembered about this um, this YouTube clip. And um, and he never yeah, did realise how to film it. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I think that, you know, I think we can, we can definitely agree that it is uh, complicated. But not, you know, but also it sounds like it's a real spectacle to be had. Everyone's agreeing on that one. Um, Tell me about the the soundtrack. You know, the this feels to me like it should be absolutely epic. You know, Dunkirk won uh, Oscars for its sound. Is this in a similar vein? Is it going to be? You know, is it an incredible soundscape? I think um, you know the first thing that hit me essentially was how loud it was. Like when I was in the cinema, obviously you expect it to be loud, but there were massive sequences where there isn't a lot of music, but the the noises are extremely large, you know, like gunfire or background ambient noise, that type of thing. Um, And that's the first thing that struck me really was, was just how loud it was. And I think maybe that's in place to, you know, kind of disorientate you or shock you. I I don't know, but um, it was certainly quite striking. Yeah. Gav, you had your finger up there. Yeah, no, I was. I I agree with Joel that it was loud. It was very loud. I felt like the music and the action was very loud in parts, and the um, the dialogue was quite quiet. So it'd be interesting to see how it transitions to you know Blu-ray or you know yeah, digital, yeah. Uh, because I, I did think the aspect is it, yeah, what's it called the, the sound ratio was just way off. Um, but it's interesting that this is the first film in a, in a long time that Hans Zimmer didn't actually score for. Christopher Nolan, I think that is maybe affected it a little bit. I think the score was just because when you think about like other uh, scores, like the, the Dark Knight Rises and um, you know uh, 
Inception. Very sort of iconic sounds. And I feel like a lot of fun could have been had with this. You know, the film is essentially about a palindrome. It's about the same thing going forward as it is for coming back, you know, time travel. I thought it could have done quite a lot of interesting things with, you know, like sequential music, you know, like a pattern that kind of like constantly plays like a motif or a theme that constantly comes up. Maybe it did do that. Maybe I just missed it. But there was a lot of periods of time when there was just no music getting played at all. I just thought that, you know, there could have been a lot of fun to be had there and I just didn't pick it up. I don't know whether it was it's attempted or not. I haven't read into it, you know, but yeah, I just think that it could have been more obvious that, that, that this they could have created something that would have gone very well with the with the theme of the film. Okay. Anyone else to add on the on the sound? And does anyone have any other business at all? Um I was gonna speak about sound and then I don't know if anyone wants to speak about cast or if we're we're covered. Well, I mean, that was going to be a little touch up I was going to ask about because Robert Patterson, huge name, is probably going to draw in a lot of uh, a lot of people, regardless of what we think of him. Um, you know, and then Michael Caine, huge name, sounds like he's only in it for three minutes. Um, but yeah, so let's. Say, uh, I'd like to hear your take on the sound first, Dave, and then. Um, just quickly, I was just going to say that Hans Zimmer um, doesn't appear on this one just because he was double booked. He was working on Dune instead. So otherwise, he would have been first choice. Second choice, uh, got it, Ludwig Gornsson, who is a pretty good composer. He did Black Panther, which he won a lot of accolades for. So he's well-versed in doing, like Gav mentioned Dark Knight, like Hans Zimmer did for a superhero film, he's well-versed in superhero films and this sort of action soundtrack that you would expect. So he was a very good second choice when Hans Zimmer was unavailable. Okay. Go on. Just, you can have a touch. Very quick out. thing on sound. Sorry. It's just, I, I thought it was good at first. The sound actually liked it in the first action sequence, but it's very sort of one note is the sound. Do you know what I mean? It just goes, it does that quite a lot all the way through the film and it doesn't really vary it much. So it works, but by the end, actually the loudness, like Gav was saying, it, it kind of, it's kind of oddly disturbing by, by towards the end of the film. Okay. Yeah. So I think I've heard enough about uh, sound. I don't even know why I asked about it. I knew what you guys were all going to say. So predictable. Um, but what about the cast and characters? You know, Robert Patterson, Michael Caine, um, so and uh, you know John Lennon. Who, who else have we got? <laughs> Wasn't he in Kickass as well? That guy. Yeah, he was. He was. Yeah, he was. He was. Yeah. So he's been a superhero once before. Twice, Quicksilver as well. He was. Uh, oh yeah. Oh, was he? Awful. Yeah. Oh, right. I've not like he's okay. been involved in a film with terrible Russian accents before. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go on. I'll go with the prosecution well, this time round. Go on, fire away. Segue in from terrible Russian accents is is at the heart of a film. Kenneth Branagh doesn't do a very good Russian accent. I, you know, I'm not going to spend too long on it. It's just not very good, and that's that's pretty much it. Um, but his like his performance isn't very good either. This is the film, and I know it's sacrilegious to say this is the film that made me think: Is Kenneth Branagh good? Do you know what I mean? Like. What is the film that I've seen Kenneth Branagh in that I thought he was really good in? He, his performance isn't very good in this. He he just does a very sort of hammy villain where when you'd think he'd be really angry, he goes really quiet. And when you'd think he'd be quite quiet in a restaurant and it'd be inappropriate, it'd be inappropriate for him to be out, he goes really loud and, oh, wow, that's what villains do. You know, so his, his performance isn't very good. He doesn't really convey much, I don't think. Um, Elizabeth Debicki, I think he's good in it, but she's her character is so lacking and so close to if you've, I don't know if you've ever seen The Night Manager but it's pretty much spot on exactly the same, she's married to a an, a, an arms dealer who's very powerful man and she's sort of caught in the web of it, that's pretty much exactly what she's doing here, she's not got much 
agency until like the end of the film and it's a pretty weak role for her i i, I thought she did okay with it um robert patterson is quite forgettable and so is john david washington to be honest both of the markers they're both just explaining what's going on most of the time at the end they have a scene when they actually seem to connect and that's when you actually think oh right yeah that there could have been something here there could have been a bit of chemistry if you'd let these two actually share some screen time and share a little bit about their personal lives maybe it doesn't happen so the performances aren't very good I wouldn't say Kenneth Branagh is very good in it. I didn't think John David Washington was particularly good in it either. I didn't think he emoted much in it. Maybe he wasn't meant to, but it, it's quite boring to watch. And Robert Patterson, again, it was just a confused character for him to do. So I, I, I wasn't blown away by by anyone really. And Gav mentioned touching it before. There's an awful lot of people that just pop up in the plot to make the plot make sense. There's a there's a character who just just because he needs someone to drive a plane who just pitches up and he's and he's drives the plane basically and he's introduced for a bit. I I can't you can't comment on his performance because he, he doesn't get a chance to give one. Okay, go on Gav, you can have a quick touch and then I'd like to hear some uh, rebuttals from the fans. Yeah no it's just to expand on what Alex said about Alex to be uh, uh, Elizabeth Debicki's character. Uh, so she's essentially just a bit of a prop. It's a very, very sort of underwhelming character. Uh, you know, she's essentially a damsel in distress and a victim of domestic violence. Um, her sole motivation in the film is to protect her son at all costs and to form some sort of relationship with him outside of you know the family unit. So completely just been off her violent husband and live with her son. Um, we're only introduced to his son fleetingly. I don't even think he has any lines. I don't even know if we see his face. I'm not quite sure. We see him in the background where she drops him off at school, but we're not really introduced to him. So we're not as connected to her character as as an audience because we don't really believe or we're not really invested in her relationship with her son. And the same goes for her relationship with John David Washington's protagonist as well. There's no real spark there. There's no uh, sexual or romantic tension or close connection. Not to say that there should be, but it, it just makes her character being a damsel in distress uh, that the protagonist must save just a bit strange and really less impactful. You know, there's a bit where he essentially jeopardizes the whole mission so we can go and rescue her. And there's no real relationship born between the two of them. So you, you think, think to yourself, well, why? This is a guy who literally, like, tried to kill himself rather than giving up information about his team early on in the film. And now he's willing to jeopardize the end of the world. Just so yeah, it is. One woman. That, that is right, right. He is jeopardizing the end of existence itself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like, you I'm know, not sure it, what they tra- train him in CIA, but I'm pretty. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, I'm pretty well, sure. that, that's, that feels like a good note. So let's hear some defense because yeah, sure. I feel like I'm giving you a rough, run rough shot over the, uh, <laughs> the character there. So I feel like we got, you know, let's, let's hear about Kenneth Branagh for a bit and then let's talk about Elizabeth uh, Debicki uh, as well. But anyone else you want to add on, Joel? Um, um, so Kenneth Branagh. I mean, the guy's all right. Like, his Russian accent isn't that great, and he is quite hammy. Um, but he's not overly hammy, I wouldn't say. And, and, you know, part of me, when I was watching this, as I mentioned at the start, you know, it is very, like, kind of James Bondy type plot. Part of me thought, maybe it's meant to be this way. Do you know what I mean? Like, he, he's trying to have it, so it's kind of, like, almost like a throwback to some of the older uh, action films because the plots are so uh, similar in a way. Um and, you know, Elizabeth Debicki, I thought she was all right, to be honest. Um, I quite liked her character. You know, she has some kind of interesting plot points, uh, like basically uh, 
she has this kind of storyline where uh, at the start of the film, well, maybe not right at the start of the film, midway through the film, she's explaining to to John David Washington, I think, or Robert Pattinson, I can't remember who, but she's explaining um, that she tried to kind of reignite the romance with her husband. Um, but after she comes back from like a, a trip with her son, she sees a lady dive off the deck, um, you know, like... A, and she thinks it's like another woman, basically, that he's seen another woman behind her back. But then it turns on, it turns out later on that it's actually herself uh, when she time travels. Uh, she's distracting uh, Kenneth Branagh and she sees her past self and past son coming back to the boat. So she dives off the boat in order to, to you know, bump, avoid bumping into her past self, essentially. So um, I do think she has some kind of interesting interesting points and but I thought she she played the role that's, that's quite well that's nothing to do with their character though it is that no, is that's it? literally that nothing to do with their character that's, that's just something that happens you know it's it, like well it's not really not like because she, she's leading this whole uh, way through the film thinking that uh, although she was trying to rekindle it you know he is seeing this other woman and it, and it turns out not to be not to be the case uh, but in terms of Robert Pattinson you know I think everyone knows I'm probably one of his biggest critics and I actually quite liked him in this. I thought he was really quite likable. And when it turns out uh, towards the end of the film, when you find out that he is going to die, he doesn't die on screen, but you find out that he's going to die. Uh, I was actually a little bit gutted. Uh, the one thing I will say, the protagonist, John David Washington, I do, I do feel like he was a little bit emotionless. But again, part of me thinks, you know, that that's just his character because I do feel like he's shown really good range in other films like uh, that we've seen him in in the past. Um, and Christopher Nolan, you know, he's quite notorious for getting what he wants out of his actors and, uh, you know, the people that play the part. So I feel like it, if that isn't how he wasn't, you know, supposed to be, then he, he would have portrayed it differently. Um, so it all comes back to that point I made before that maybe things are just meant to be this way and, uh, you know, that that's just the way you want it. Uh, Dave, I mean, how do you feel about that? Do you think, is that uh, Christopher Nolan maybe just getting away with essentially murder, you know, not essentially murder, but, you know, just getting away with whatever he wants because he can say that's what I wanted it to be. Does it? Does that, does that give him a... Do you think the characters are well-written enough that he gets away with that? And he's It's not right a get-out-of-jail-free card. He's not playing any get-out-of-jail-free cards. And I think the characters are subtle. They're, they're quite understated in themselves. Kenneth Branagh is... You know, I, I've not spent a great deal of time around genuine Russians, so I don't know if his accent's any good or not, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. It sounds hammy. Well, I don't know. It might be. It might be spot on. I thought Mickey Rourke uh, in in Iron Man two. Apparently, I thought I, I thought his accent was bad, but apparently it's spot on. Um, so I don't know. But his performance is remarkably understated for a Shakespearean actor who is renowned for going over the top at any given moment. He it was actually a refreshingly held back performance from Kenneth Branagh, I thought. And I actually quite liked him as a villain in this. I thought he actually did a decent job. It was subtle. It was understated. There was this kind of like quiet menace to him rather than, you know, some sort of like bombastic sort of Bond villain, you know, because it is, it's got the elements of a Bond villain to it, but with something just a bit more refined at the end of it. I thought John David Washington was great. I th Again, subtlety is the word of the day. You know, when he's told that his team's killed at the start of the film, you know, you can see devastation on his face. He doesn't start throwing furniture around or screaming or he doesn't let this big emotional, like broad, off-Broadway performance but it's, you can see it in his face. You can see it in his eyes. It's the subtlety, the nuance of the performance that he brings. And whether you find him emotionless or distant or cold, 
happily he's, he's inherited his dad's charisma and sheer presence him be, his father being Denzel Washington of course he's got that same charisma that same watchability that his father has you know and on top of that they're both genuinely good actors as well but there's just something about him you can't take your eyes off Robert Pattinson again like Joel I'm not a big fan this was actually a very good performance from Robert Pattinson I'm actually more at ease with him playing Batman now having seen this because I feel he's got there's a lot more to him than I think I've seen before. So I'm willing to go a little bit on faith with Robert Pattinson. I thought he, he gave a great performance, but best one of the lot, Elizabeth Debicki, I thought was fantastic in this film. You know, you can say what you like about her character, the kind of uh, the plot. There is a plot device in, to her character. A large chunk of the plot revolves around her character. But I think there's so much more to her performance and to the character than that. One of my favorite bits was where she's explaining, you know, the, the moment where things really fell apart between her and, and Kenneth Branagh. You know, they'd argued and she said she wanted to go. He won't let her go. Again, kind of like if, if he can't have the world, if he's going to die, no one can have it. He treats her in the same with the same disdain. You know, if he can't have her, no one can. So he won't give her a divorce. He's very threatening and intimidating. And he said, you know what, I'll let you go, but you've got to sever all ties with, with our son. You know, I've got to have sole custody with him. And she said, you know, the bit that she really hated him for was because he saw in her eyes that she considered it for a split second. And when she's recounting this to John David Washington, that is a very powerful scene, very well done. You know, it's and it's all it's very subtle performances, but there's a lot there if if you bother to look. Okay, so on a on a scale of uh, Elizabeth Debicki from Peter Rabbit through to Great Gatsby. <laughs> I don't even understand that scale to be honest with you I don't get that scale <laughs> well so you seen both I thought she did really well in both but were you saying she's above it so I have seen neither of those films so <laughs> I can't tell you you've not seen The Great Gatsby I've not or seen Peter The Great Rabbit Gatsby. for that matter or Peter Rabbit <laughs> <laughs> well, well she does she's a really good job in both she's I'm going to say she's the Rabbit. good one yeah. The, she's yeah. at the good end of that. It's the good end of that. Okay, well, they're both good, so it was a trick <laughs> question. It was... <laughs> it, 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 okay, it, it, a scale, a more appropriate scale for her would be um, a, a characters in loveless marriages. Uh, is it a character in The Night Manager or is it a character in The Crown where she's going to be in Princess Diana? You know, it's yeah, yeah. like she's probably The Night Manager because yeah. it's literally the exact the same character. Okay, well, I'm gonna. I've not seen either of them. Obviously, the crown's not out yet, so. Uh, but I, I know how it ends, so. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> so on that, on that Sorry, note, no spoilers. Get, no spoilers. Does anyone, does anyone get any uh, anything else to add that they wanted to wrap up with, or should we go for a quiz and uh, and let me just probably just go up some notes before we go for the quiz? I've got more fun. I, I need good, yeah, yeah, I need two, yeah, two or three days. So uh, well, my quiz is on. Christopher Nolan films, and then I've just got a, a final uh, question, which is winner takes all. On um, <laughs> should we just get to that? On, on <laughs> <Bill and Ted. laughs> so, I like being told it's winner takes all. I can just chill out for a bit. The, re well. the reason to do that is so just Dave doesn't run away with it. Because I'll be honest, it, it yeah, all of us. Um, okay, so I'm not sure on the difficulty of this quiz. To be honest, to try to make it reasonably you know, kind of doable. Um, so question one, uh, who did Heath Ledger uses inspiration for his Joker? Oh, I know this. Was it um, the guy from Scientology when he was on that uh, David Letterman um, post and he just looked like he had manic... Uh, uh, unless this guy is in Scientology, I don't think it is. Is it not the actor from Top Gun? What's his name? Tom John Cruise. Travolta. No, Tom. I, I hope Tom he, Cruise. He based it on <laughs> Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is an inspiration. 
I wish he had as a year. It would be, oh, it would have been a sight to see. Um, so the answer was Sid Vicious. Oh, ah. Um, oh, was so, it American Psycho? Was it that guy based on Tom Cruise? I honestly do not know what you're you talking know. about. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this one, I'm going to accept the nearest answer. So how many Oscar nominations has Christopher Nolan had? Uh, for his film so we're talking anything you know best picture sound whatever okay so uh, uh, we'll start with you Ozzy just pluck an answer uh, nine nine Brucey six six Dave are we talking nominations just for Nolan or any nominations for his work for his films for oh. his films I'm going to say 32 32 Oof. Gav yeah um, yeah I reckon about yeah 25 Right. Dave, you're really close, actually. 34 Oh, wow. Oh, by the way, it was. It was Christian Bale said it about American Psycho. He said he based it on Tom Cruise's interview with Letterman when he looked like he was smiling, but there was just nothing behind his Dead eyes. Dead eyes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. wow. Okay, I can't wait so, for that film like a shark's eyes. <laughs> I'd love to have seen Tom Cruise reading that and just being like... <laughs> uh, okay, so in Interstellar, Plan A was originally to get everybody off the planet together to evacuate Earth. Does anybody know what, what plan B was? Just save Matt Damon. <laughs> Just save Matt Damon, yeah. Just, Just get Matt, Matt Damon. Damon and 10 porn stars together. <laughs> no idea. Go Destroy back in time and prevent it from happening. Maybe these are harder than a thought. So it's to take 50,000 embryos to a new planet uh, to populate it. Um, so And everybody else dies. Everybody else dies, yeah. So it's just embryos that would uh, rule rule the world. Um, so in Inception, <laughs> Who rules what the is world? the embryos? <laughs> <laughs> what is the song that they use to synchronize the kicks? Oh, um, uh, in which through the to synchronize the kicks. So you know when they're in the dream and yeah. the person controlling the dream puts uh, some music on and they all hear it in the dream. Oh, yeah. Is it? I'll give you um, all a clue. It's a French song. The Vion Rose. Oh, uh, is it Edith Piaf? Has he got? Has he gone? Oh no! I've, <laughs> so I, I just turned my video off by mistake. I don't <laughs> know what just... Edith Piaf is. So it's uh, no, Jesus. no, Jesus. no, no, yeah. well, well, that is. Okay, I'll give that to you, Bruce. Then. Um, okay, so in what film is this? Oh, uh, Dunkirk. So what do Tommy and Gibson do to try and get on a destroyer to get away from the beach? Ah, they pick up a court. They, well, they pick up uh, an injured yeah, they person. Pick, I'll give you that. They pretend to be medics. Yeah. Um, so they pick up a corpse. You to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've like, got Ooh. a corpse here, lads. Let us on. So in the Prestige... Um, Borden, which is uh, Christian Bale's character, just before he's about to be hanged, what what phrase does he say? Now you see me. See you later, close, bitches. Close day, it, it is a magician's <laughs> phrase. Abracadabra, motherfuckers. Abracadabra. Are you watching closely? So, so I'll give it. I'll give it to Brucey. You got it. It's abracadabra, motherfucker. <laughs> um, so, in the Dark Knight, what is John Blake's real name? Robin. Robin, well done, Gav. I almost called you Batman then. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so in uh, Memento, who was originally offered the part of Leonard? 
It's, I think it's Memento and it's Leonard. Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, Ian McAllen. It's somebody who, yeah. who really looks Kane. like Guy Pearce, to be honest. Oh, no, he's Magneto, like, isn't he? Um, Mike. <laughs> um, oh, I don't know. Just Christian he looks Bale. like a shitter, Guy Pearce. He looks exactly the same as him. Thomas Isn't Jane. <laughs> and he's somebody who pretty much everybody has a massive disdain for. Luke Wilson. Oh, if any John of these Robinson. people are listening, they're just like, he looks like a shithead. <laughs> Guy Pearce. He's, like, he's, he's in Friends. He's in, he, does, he has a cameo in Friends. Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. Yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah. A shithead. <laughs> okay so uh, now we're just into the dregs of uh, kind of tra- time travel films so in hot tub time machine what is the drink that allows them to time travel oh isn't it like a monster or like red it, bull it, or something it, it, it's a it's an energy drink but it's 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 not obviously red bull it's a, it's a different name it's um you'll get it from this but it's it's a russian city Moscow, Moscow meal. Russian place. Russia. Think of something. St. Petersburg. Think Saint of Petersburg. Uh, Monster and energy drinks. What colour are they? They're like green. green and yellow, right? So what does that remind you of? And then think of... Chernobyl. Chernobyl, there you go. Oh, my God. <laughs> that in Russia. Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> that's my fault. Uh, so in, in Days of Future Past, the X-Men film... What do the gang go back in time to prevent being created? Uh, Dr. Drake Romare. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Sentinels. The Sentinels, well done, Gav. So, Brucey, you've kind of won the fake quiz. Hey. Um, so this is, this is winner takes all I, now. I we're going to do... I... We're going to do like a round robin. So if you get it right, you're still in the game, but there's only about like eight or nine answers. So oh. in Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, you have to name... Each name a historical figure that, that they that they take with them. So we'll start with Gav. Gav, name one person. Billy the Kid. Okay, Billy the Kid. Brucey. Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, correct. Dave. Napoleon. Napoleon, well done. <laughs> uh, uh, Christopher Columbus. Unfortunately oh, not. No. Oh no. Okay, Ozzy's out. Gav. <laughs> Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc, well done. Brucey. Socrates. Socrates. Oh, yeah. Dave. Julius Caesar. Oh, you're out, Dave. I've never seen it. (laughs) So, Gav and Brucey, two, two left. There's still a few more left. Uh, Beethoven. Beethoven, Brucey. Uh, Genghis Khan. Oh, Genghis Khan is correct. (laughs) And then uh, just two princesses. Uh, So, you've got one... I think there's only one person left, actually. No, two people left. Three people oh, left. That... And yeah, none of them say... are female. Oh, we said to Abraham Lincoln. Did we say Abraham Lincoln? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we have them, yeah. Nice oh, try. I can't, I can't think. Uh, no? Brucey, can you name anybody else? No, I can't. Think I of can't a famous composer and a famous, I don't know, philosopher, physicist? Physicist. Uh... Oh, Albert Einstein? Mm, no. No, maybe call him a philosopher, maybe a little bit more. Socrates, he was there. Socrates, we've had him, but he was there as well. Newton. <laughs> Newton, no. Uh, so a composer, this one might be easier. He's also Newton's a big not. dog. Beethoven, we've had <laughs> that Beethoven. one. That's been sad. Oh, has yeah. it? Okay, well, yeah. we've only got one more left then, and it was Sigmund Freud. 
That's a joint win for Gavin Brucey then. Oh, well, well that was a, that was a fun quiz, if nothing else. That, that was very fun. good. I love yeah. how it went from Christopher Nolan films to Hot Tub Time Machine. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we did travel forwards and backwards in time uh, exactly. throughout that. Um, I uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm a bit torn on this one because in, in on one hand, I find that a film that is going to be confusing for the sake of being confusing is going to piss me off, and I'm not going to enjoy watching that. But then equally, everybody kind of agreed that the plot itself is simple, so maybe it's actually, it's meant to be confusing to get you to watch it again, and maybe that's presumptuous. And, you know, it's maybe it's a sort of a, there's a, there's a level of this for everyone. You can just watch it and, and ignore it, you know, just, just sit back for the action, just be entertained, or you can really delve in and, you know, like Stoner's Paradise, essentially, really delve into every little that's what he was going for the stoners paradise <laughs> to be honest you know like you can delve into you just watch Bill and Ted and us... <laughs> <laughs> you know you can have us talking about like it's Donnie Darko of the 2020s you know it could be getting talked about for forevermore um, I don't know I, it, it, it seems I think it's a tough one um, I, I, I was a bit torn on the whole Kenneth Branagh thing if he's the protagonist no he's the baddie isn't he he's the so you're gonna need to either like you know you've got to actually dislike him for for all the right reasons i couldn't really grasp what his methods were you know what what, what what's his actual issue i couldn't i couldn't get that nobody really touched on it but maybe it doesn't matter if you know he's going to blow up the world and you've just got to save him um maybe he spent too long directing artemis Fowl to really give it his all for, <laughs> for this uh, he couldn't practice his russian accent because he's too busy telling everyone else how to do irish accents <laughs> um, I, I, I'm massively torn, right? But I think I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt and put it on the hit list because of the the sheer spectacle that it probably is technically brilliant. It probably is entertaining, and um, and there's probably a lot more to it than than meets the eye. You know, I think it's a film where you can't have your phone out. It needs to be watched in the cinema. I think it's that sort of thing. Okay. okay. Uh, well summarised to be honest Ozzy uh, genuine opinions what did we all think starting with I'm going to start with Alex who doesn't like Christopher Nolan at the best of times did you I, genuinely hate this movie as much I, as I, I think I like him less and less with each film he comes out with um, I, I didn't want to say it in the in the actual argument but four people walked out of a cinema while we were watching it and one of them was my wife she just couldn't stand it she, like, she absolutely but couldn't stand it sometimes it's hard to tell if it's the film or just the company or something. <laughs> I mean I wasn't being that annoying I was, I was uh, but yeah it, she said she, in her words she said she was bored and disturbed at the same time and <laughs> I, I like I, I couldn't have agreed more it I'm not I wasn't lying I honestly didn't get like a lot of what was going on and I'm not saying I'm the the the, the cleverest guy in the universe but I've watched a lot of films and it's very rare where I'm just like I honestly don't know what's going on and I think what might have kicked in a little bit you know because Dave and Joel were sort of explaining things and like obviously I've missed it do you know what I mean because you know they, they, they got it but I think I switched off a bit because I was just like I don't know who they are I don't know what's going on I don't know I don't care do you know what I mean so I think I just sort of switched off in my mind and just watched it a bit, and it was it was just I was just bored. Two two hours and twenty minutes of exposition with a bit of action in between is is it's not a hit. I 
sorry, last thing, I know I'm going on. I can see why I think the reviews have come out and reviews have been, not to ruin the thing Gab does later, reviews have been quite positive and I think they're being quite generous because of it being a COVID film coming out at the moment. I think they're being, I think they're, everyone's being quite generous with it, I think. Um, okay, so I actually, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I, I agreed with some of the things I was saying. Um, I do think that I know it's quite long already, two and a half hours, but I feel like it could have been a little bit longer just to kind of um, cover off a few issues like uh, who they are, what's going on. You know, some of it, like as I mentioned before, that whole beginning bit with John David Washington, you don't know who he's working for, you don't know why he's doing what he's doing or where he's going. Uh, that could have been explained a little bit better. Uh, I, I do think that Elizabeth Vicky's character could have been fleshed out a bit better. I understand everything that Joel, Joel and Dave were saying. I just think that, you know, like in 2020, you know, we, we can't be at that stage now where we're just writing really poor female mm. characters in a big film like this where they're just essentially a damsel in distress. Mm. And I was thinking to myself, would it have been so hard to just have maybe Aaron Taylor-Johnson or Robert Pattinson's character as a woman? You know what I mean? It's like, you know, because the only woman with any significant lines was Elizabeth Debicki and she was just like a woman in peril for most of it. Um, so that was a bit disappointing. But I agree with Austin, your you summary there. It is a spectacle. It is something to be seen. You know, like when you look into uh, the practicality of it all, how it was constructed and the fact that there's like limited, if not any cgi in the entire film it is very very visually pleasing and i thought the cast did a great job and yeah it is hard to concentrate on but if you can manage to stay switched on throughout the majority of it there's a few things that you might miss but you will hopefully get you know the most of it so yeah uh, apologies alex there um so uh, just checking dave what did you think i genuinely quite liked it I thought it was, I didn't like it as much as I said in my argument, but I thought it was pretty good. Um, it's a hit for me. I think it just edges its way into hit list uh, territory. I thought the performances were genuinely pretty solid. I thought the, I didn't think the script was that bad. And I was able to follow the bit for the most part. Kat actually followed it better than I did. Like I was saying, she got more of it and she explained a couple of things as we were leaving. Um, but even though there were things I wasn't getting on my first viewing of it, I got enough to enjoy it and you know that you're warned in the in the tagline in the reviews and by clemens Posey's character you're warned to uh basically <laughs> just just go with it just uh just go for the flow try and keep up and you know you there's a decent film in there and gav's right it is technically it, it technically is a tour de force it really is he Alex may think his scripts and his films are gradually getting worse as time goes by. His, his, uh, his technical team, however, they're clearly getting better each and every time. So I'll give them their due. And Joel? finally, uh, Joel? Uh, yeah, I liked it. I mean, these these same arguments that we have or that we just had, you know, I think I've had with a lot of people over plenty of his films, especially films like Interstellar, were you know, a lot of people don't know what's going on. Some people do know what's going on. Like I said before, I think Christopher Nolan just loves that shit. Like, I think he would love, you know, the thought of us five just sat here discussing, you know, what we think was going on and that type of thing. And as I said about the action, you know, it's something that you've never seen before and it's something that probably won't be done again. And, and just for things like that alone, I think, you know, you should go and see it. As I said at the start of this podcast, you know, if Christopher Nolan bought out a film that was rated 2 out of 10, I'd still go and see it just because I think he does something new every single time that hasn't been done in, you know, other cinema. Um, so, yeah, it's, for me, it's definitely a hit, but, you know, I understand people 
you know, may or may not get it. Funny thing is when I was there, you know, I think either Gav or Alex mentioned about the the 12 rating, a guy had brought his, his kids with him to see it. And literally all the way through it, his kid was like, what's going on? Uh, you know, who's he? Like, what's actually happening? Um, I don't so, know, son. I don't know. Something. <laughs> it, it pretty much was that. So that, that was quite funny to see it, but it made me feel better anyway. You know, I, <laughs> I got it. The 12 year old kid didn't. I do think Alex is right though. When he says that they've been uh, overly generous with the reviews because of the time and the fact that, you know, the studio has really, Quite, made quite a bold move to release this film now while people are still unwilling to go back and I think yeah, yeah it, it's good it's not that good it's not as good as some of the reviews make it yeah. sound but it is good I, 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 it's Chris Nolan's I think is the only filmmaker at the moment who's making big budget original action films and that and in and of itself that should be like yeah nice one keep doing that you know because he yeah. seems to be the only one doing it mm. I, I just wish he wasn't the only one doing it <laughs> yeah but anyone I, I, else I've yeah. got good news Jim Jarmusch apparently <laughs> oh brilliant <laughs> <laughs> so, like, and on that point uh, um, it's very interesting to see that this is the most expensive original film ever ever made um, and it's also the most expensive film starring a, a person of colour as well which I thought was uh, uh, sorry as, as the lead uh, so protagonist literally the protagonist of the, the protagonist. film oh, yeah, well, which, as which, you were saying about um, CGI I, I read that they actually bought a um, you know, unused jumbo jet and crashed it into that hangar. Like it, it wasn't CGI, as you said. They literally bought a jumbo, a passenger jet and crashed it into a bloody building. I know so, it's mad, isn't it? it originally, day. he was going to use miniatures, and then he was like, "Oh, you know, well, may as well just buy a jet." <laughs> like, <laughs> it's probably where most of the uh, the, the wage went there. Yeah, it's and and all of the uh, the the um, driver as well. It was done by you know so many stunt drivers. All the people that he worked with in the past, the guy who he'd worked with on the Dark Knight. He'd flipped the uh, the truck you know like it just brought together the, you know the collaborative work with all the stunt people and the technical specialists is amazing and um, anyway you get, get, get enough subject here is it higher or lower than our previous film on trial which was project power which scored 60 percent on rotten tomatoes everybody's higher. singling higher. 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 higher it's got to be in the higher. 80s 80s any higher 90, or lower than i'm gonna say 93 93 dave i'm gonna 75 I'm going to go late 70s. I'm going to say 78 just because it is it is confusing. Okay. Uh, well, Dave is pretty much nearly on the money there. It's 79, so it just misses out on that uh, certified fresh it, score. It is just out. I think it will go down quite a lot. I, I think it will level out about uh, 59, 59, 60. We'll see. Okay. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll, see. we'll, we'll come we'll back see. in three years and we'll find out. <laughs> There's only so many accounts you can make, Brucey. So. <laughs> yeah, in three years' time, when we're uh, doing an, another Chris Nolan film on this podcast, hopefully we can invite Christopher Nolan on, onto the podcast and we can talk about, like, what, why is it? Why is it that, like none of us can follow your film? I think it would have been nice as that ginger kid that we found in, or that Ozzy found in Jack Park if, if he'd had a little cameo in this. <laughs> I know he had a bigger role in this podcast than he did. He's <laughs> <laughs> going to be right in for some royalties. I'll have to send him some Freddos. Freddos, uh, blaming Freddos. <laughs> so uh, the next film has not been picked out of the hat at random. Again, once once again, we're just going to be picking a current film that's on, well, I was going to say the cinema, but it's not actually the cinema. It's going to be released onto Disney Plus and it's going to be Mulan. Um, this is the obviously the 2020 version of it, not the uh, Eddie May. Murphy Dragon version of it. Um, what a film. Anyway, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. What a film indeed. Uh, anyway, the roles have been picked out of the hat at random. So in the role of defense is going to be myself and Dave. In the role of prosecution is going to be Ozzy and Joel. And in the role of judge is going to be Alex. Sorry, I feel like Alex is there. sitting pretty there, 30 quid. I know, yeah. In the bank. This podcast, know. Yeah. This podcast getting really expensive really quickly. Bear in mind, he doesn't have a frigging Disney account and he just uses oh, mine. True. So it's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any, any, uh, yeah, and sorry, no expenses. I'm a public, but I'm I'm a public will, servant, you sons of guns. Do you know what I mean? You, <laughs> you and me. <laughs> right Fair enough. thank you very much everybody for listening i really appreciate it it was a bit of a long episode but then again tenant is a very long film but it was quite confusing and we had to try and break it down a little bit uh so yeah yeah uh if you want to follow more of us you can you know go on social media type in films on trial on on facebook and instagram and youtube or at film trials on twitter and that's it. Tenant is tenant. I say it again. David Tenant <laughs> is a hit. And we will be in your ears next week with Mulan. Goodbye. Bye.